We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Sorry for no intro music this week. I'm, uh, I've had some laptop logistical issues lately, so no, uh, no back at it from Mike Gundy and the, and the typical music, so bear with me. We'll have that back for next week. I've been, again, juggling computers, and it's a long story that, frankly, the listener doesn't care about. But uh, Colby, we got a, a fun Friday ahead of us. We got a lot to talk about, man. Yes, sir. It is uh, OSU Tulsa week. Spencer Sanders is back. They're spending some money in Stillwater. We've got four new teams. I have air conditioning. I don't even know where to start. Yeah, Colby has been without air conditioning since when? Sunday, you said? Uh, Sunday afternoon, it went out. We have a portable unit in the bedroom. So in the mornings and nights, it was fine and it was bearable. We slept comfortably, which is the worst part of not having air conditioner. So we were still lucky in that sense. But the house has been miserably hot in the middle of the day. Fortunately, we got it fixed today. Otherwise, it would have been Monday. And it's supposed to be, I think, 100 degrees maybe tomorrow. So uh, it's fixed. We're good. It's nice and cool in the house. I'm feeling good. Awesome. I can't think of a worse week for that to happen when it's the peak the last real peak week of summertime heat, which I guess is probably why your AC crapped out, but glad you're back and cooling off. Uh, let's hear from Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. You're going to need to stop by Chris's and get you a ball cap because it's going to be a scorcher in Boone Pickens Stadium. If you're, if you're not sitting in the shade like Colby is in the West End Zone, you're going to need a hat to, to block the sun. So Stop over by Chris's if you're in Stillwater. Stop by there and uh, get you some cowboy gear. So we, we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Just to cut in for a second, 11 a.m. kick. So there is no shade anywhere. Oh, yeah. Not even the West End Zone gets a reprieve no. from that. It's going to be brutal. Yes. It's going to be brutal. Um, I guess let's start with conference realignment. Obviously, it's now official. All the four schools have officially applied for and been granted membership to the Big 12. Uh, it's, a, it's a landmark day, Colby. I mean, you and I were talking on this podcast when OU in Texas left, and we, were, we had our bags not only packed, we'd already booked flights to the West Coast. We were like, get to the Pac-12 yesterday. And you and I really didn't see a future for this league, but I think they've done just about as good as they can possibly do to stabilize things. I'm kind of like you. I think this is kind of a holding pattern until certain things settle with the new TV deals for other conferences, but Colby, I'm just thrilled that this part of the country will maintain a Power 5 league. Yeah, I mean, five weeks ago, this conference was drowning. I mean, really drowning and about to go under. And this is a life raft. This is uh, an inflatable tossed out to the Big 12. This will keep you above water for now. Now, how long-term is this? I don't know. What does this conference look like in 2030? I don't know. But this is as good as the Big 12 could have done to keep itself alive uh now we all wanted and i'm sure uh, people from other schools and other fan bases also wanted their teams to jump ship i'm sure people at iowa state wanted to go to the big 10 people at uh, tcu probably wanted to go to the pac-12 different fan bases wanted to go different places because that seemed like the best option that wasn't an option the only option was to expand because you couldn't sit around with eight and you couldn't just hope that ou and texas stick around another four years i think this is the next best option that was actually available and realistic for the big 12 uh, i'm sure somebody will tweet and say i hate this i hate adding these four schools it's just going to water down the product uh yeah losing ou and texas is a big deal there are no easy replacements for that but of the options that were actually available and realistic i think this was the best one yeah, and I, I've been a little critical of Houston just because I, I feel like they take more off of the table than they bring to it. I know they're in Houston. I know that's a market, but 
not a huge fan base. It's not like a ton of people in Houston are, are lining up to watch Houston Cougar football games. But I've kind of learned that, you know, the Boise State's the school I kind of wanted just because they're, they're a name football brand. People turn on the TV and watch. I kind of heard that's a was kind of been a non-starter with just their their overall university. Not that the Big 12 is the Ivy League, but just it just wasn't quite a fit university-wise. So I'm I'm thrilled. Houston's the the next best option for me, and we all know Cincinnati what they've done in football. BYU to me, Colby is the most exciting part of this. They they basically have been a Power Five, and they they gambled on themselves by going independent because they have that type of fan base. They're, they have a worldwide fan base with, with the church they're affiliated with. They immediately have the biggest stadium in the conference, which is kind of crazy to think about, 65,000. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge get. And just an overall football perspective, again, I, look, the Big 12 was already, it was already looked down upon nationally. That, that's not changing. It certainly doesn't help when OU and Texas leave too, I understand. But I think the Big 12 is now in a position, Colby, with the teams they've added where it's, it, they can go out and win their respect. The Big 12 has done that in bowl games recently. Adding a BYU, a Cincy, a Houston, and a UCF, UCF too, I think they're going to be able to go out and earn some respectability just with the teams they've added in addition to the ones that they're keeping. Yeah, I think so too. And like you said, I'm, I'm on board for BYU uh, especially hard. And I hope that the divisions that the conference gets split into, I hope they go east-west with Oklahoma State, the four Texas schools, and BYU in the West Conference. Then you'd have the two Kansas schools, Iowa State, West Virginia, Cincinnati, and UCF in the east. I think that that would be the best split in divisions for Oklahoma State because then you still keep the kind of Big 12 feel of it with Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU. You toss in Houston, who's just a natural fit being in this area. And then you get the, the game every year with BYU, assuming you play your division teams every single year. And I think that would be big to host BYU in Stillwater every other year, and it'd be big to go to Provo every other year. Uh, and as someone who thoroughly enjoys a good mountain, I wouldn't mind like a last week of the regular season road trip to Provo uh, and maybe catch some snow while you're up there. That would be sweet. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think w w it remains to be seen how this league will, will compete with the – I assume they're going to do the divisions, like you said. I just, I, I hope in all this realignment talk, Colby, that we just play conference games. These leagues are big enough now to where I think everyone should just play their conference. Um, I certainly love non-conference matchups, but I don't think there's a need to play three of them anymore. So maybe that's something they could put on the table. And Mike Gundy's advocated just playing, you know, ten, uh, nine, ten conference games, depending on whether the Big 12 or the, or the 10 teams they've had over the last few years. So it remains to be seen how the league's going to play out. Uh, these schools want to join by 2023. I think that's the plan. That's what uh, they've, they've stated in some of their releases. That's going to be fascinating, Colby, with OU and Texas more than likely still in the conference at that point. And Brian Davis from American States been reported uh, just a few minutes ago that, or I guess it was this morning, that Texas and Oklahoma were both allowed to vote on adding the four teams. They technically haven't given notice on when they're leaving, if, if they leave early, so they still have voting privileges, which I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting to see what, what Oklahoma thought about BYU joining the league. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. And Texas as well. I, I can't 
it's so weird. Like, I understand how it works that they still get to vote and all that, but it's so weird that they're on their way out the door and they still have a say in determining the future of the conference that they really, six weeks ago, had no qualms or hesitation about destroying and leaving for dead. So that's just really interesting to me that they get to be a part of the conversation and have a vote in the matter, but I understand that's how contracts and things work. I, I still wouldn't be shocked if OU and Texas were gone to the SEC next year or the year after. Uh, I know – you know, this news breaks, and I just – I'm seeing a lot of stuff on social media from OU people, from Texas people about, like, uh, that's really funny that y'all think there's going to be overlap with OU and Texas in the same conference with these four schools. That's not happening. And maybe it won't, but I think to me that's the biggest unknown right now is how long do OU and Texas stick around, and if they bolt early – what do they have to pay? And it better be every dime because that's what's best for the Big 12. And at this point, the Big 12 owes OU and Texas nothing, nothing. So hopefully, if they decide to leave early, they pay every dime to do so. Yeah, that's, that's why I think they're going to be around. I mean, the Big 12 is going to do them zero favors. It's going to be ante up the $80 million apiece. So there's nothing to discuss. Now... ESPN signing a $3 billion contract with the SEC. Maybe, maybe they want that, that ball rolling immediately and, and pay a portion of those buyouts with those schools. But Oklahoma's got to pay for a new softball stadium. Oklahoma's got to pay for a new baseball stadium. They're going to be playing baseball in the SEC. They've got, they've got a lot of bills on the books in addition to paying all their coaches and, and things of that nature in athletic department. They don't have 80 million laying around just to, just to light on fire, just to, just to go play. Ole Miss in, in a year or two. So I, I think they're going to be around. And I, I'm curious how this vote went, if they were sticklers about it and voted against everything. I, I'm, sure the, I'm sure Bob Bowlesby probably said, okay, well, then you're, you're going to Provo. You're going to Cincinnati. You're going to UCF. Those are your road games for the next two, three years, however long you're in the conference. They're going to send them as far away as possible and make them go to these schools they voted against, I would hope. Yeah, I mean, that's – you're not – there's no need to do them any favors at this point. I think that we all agree on that. Um, you know, the Big 12 is going to survive, it looks like. OU and Texas are going to go to the SEC. That's great. Uh, but it's like I saw something earlier, uh, and I can't remember who it was. Brett McMurphy might have been who tweeted this out and said that if the Big 12 really wanted to be diabolical, uh, if OU and Texas stick around once you go to divisions, then you better make sure that OU and Texas are in the same division of the Big 12 so that you don't have two lame duck teams meeting in your conference championship game. And I don't know if that would happen anyway because uh, we know what Texas is. OU will probably be there. But, I mean, yeah, if you go to divisions and they're still around, they need to be in the, in the same division because the last thing that the Big 12 needs is a scenario in 23 or 24 where OU and Texas are lame ducks in the conference and they separate themselves and play in the Big 12 championship game. That would be a bad look. So the, all the unknowns right now uh, revolve around OU and Texas and then obviously future money contracts with networks because the next deal that the Big 12 gets I think will be very telling in terms of what the long-term health of this conference can be because if the money just isn't there, even with these 12 moving forward or even if they were to go ahead and add like Boise and Memphis or something like that, if the money just isn't there, then that could be a, a big hit uh, for the future of the conference. But those are the, the biggest unknowns right now, and we won't know the answer to those questions for quite some time. Yeah, you mentioned Boise and Memphis. I'm just now seeing a tweet from Dennis Dodd saying Big 12 expansion may not be done, that Memphis and Boise State are among the schools being considered for further expansion. Uh, that's, that's interesting to me. I mean, I think Memphis has a lot of issues. They don't have a football stadium. They don't have a basketball arena. They haven't really invested in 
you know, their athletic department. So that's a, that's a curious one for me. I would love Boise. And, but I think, I do think there's an argument to be made Colby expansion would be the only way for the big 12 to really differentiate themselves would be by just taking over like the vast majority of the middle of the country, adding schools like that. What, what would you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I like the idea. I just don't know how it works from a logistical standpoint because then you're splitting the pie so many more ways and there's no way that adding Boise and Memphis is going to bring in enough TV revenue that it would offset the losses you would take having to split the pie two more ways. But then, then you get into the conversation of short-term money or long-term stability. Because I think the more teams that you add to the conference, the more you can solidify yourselves long-term, but then you kind of lose some of the short-term money. So I, I don't really – uh man i don't know that would be that would be tough to add two more and to get the presidents to agree to it knowing that it could potentially hurt them in the short term financially yeah I, i'm with you on just more mouths to feed uh, but dodd says the big 12 can make an even stronger case for remaining a power five conference by these teams essentially i think the idea here is is killing off the remainder of the group of fives to where they can't all band together and join another conference, something along those lines, maybe just basically ending the group of five conferences and, and adding the best of the bunch to the big 12 to just to just for more stability, I guess would be the, would be the argument. Maybe you could get a good TV deal out of that, but you're right. So many unknowns. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They've added four teams and, and we'll have to see how that, that plays out. Now, now did, you, you, did you hear the statement from the Memphis athletic director? I saw you put one out. what do he say? I don't know what went into that process. I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. Oh, <laughs> uh, the Isaiah Thomas last dance meme slash clip. That's, that's too perfect. So good. So good. I mean, it just has so many uses. That could also be Oklahoma State to the SEC. Yes, absolutely it could. I met the criteria. We would beat the brakes off Vanderbilt and, and Mississippi State, any other – a lot of those schools in the SEC. Uh, so that's that's a great play. That was a great pull. You sent me an interesting uh, article today. Uh, uh, yeah. Board of Regents funding. Tell me about yeah. it. Let's spend some money. So uh, Oklahoma State going to do some upgrades. It looks like football locker rooms uh, getting some upgrades. Cowgirl softball going to get new turf, a new outfield wall, a new wrestling locker room. It's going to total just under uh, $7 million. So, uh, yeah, big time. Casey Shrum, new president, came out, talked about it today. Uh, said today our regents voted to renovate and enter into gift-in-kind agreements for multiple projects that will continue to help us continue our legacy of athletics excellent at Oklahoma State University. So uh, good stuff. And I mean, the reality is in college sports, especially in college football, you know, you make all these big upgrades, but then if you stand still and you don't do anything and you don't touch them, other people just make more upgrades. And then you go from being in the lead to falling behind. So it's important to continue upgrading. Carson, I don't know if you've been in the current football locker room. It is remarkably impressive. Uh, so I'll be uh, just really curious to see what it looks like after they put even a couple more million into it. Yeah, I just think to, to your point, you know, the, the upgrades to the West end zone are now they're, they're not outdated, but they're not, you know, just state of the art, like they were when they were built. So you, it's a constant arms race. And so this is really exciting. And Shrum said, this comes from, you know, private donors, which is just thrilling. And I think really speaks to the job that Mike Holder has done over his tenure of, of getting donors involved and donating money to the athletic department. 
none of the facilities you see in Stillwater would have been possible without his leadership, without getting the donors on board. You know, the, the Sherman Smith Training Center uh, indoor facility for the football team is just state of the art. When I was in school, they practiced on the little field outside Gallagher-Iba Arena and would break windows in Gallagher-Iba kicking field goals. That's how, <laughs> that's how lackluster their, their practice situation was back in the day. So this is, this is really exciting, especially Colby on the heels of a pandemic, on the heels of losing about $20 million a year due to OU and Texas leaving. So Oklahoma State appears to have, have found its footing funding-wise, at least in, in the short term. Yeah, and it's, it's awesome. And like you said, uh, it's a big deal what Mike Holder did during his time, not only the Sherman Smith Center, but obviously the upgrades to Boone Pickens Stadium, the Michael and Ann Greenwood Center, uh, everything that took place at Carson Creek. We now have the new baseball stadium, which is phenomenal. And I'm glad that softball is a part of some of this spending uh, because Kenny Gajewski has done a phenomenal job, and that program deserves to be rewarded for its success as well. So uh, just all around good things happening. I believe uh, soccer got some upgrades several years back. So uh, I like that Oklahoma State, makes it an effort uh, to take care of all of its sports. And I think that that shows with a really well-rounded academic, or pardon me, athletic department. Yep. It's a, it's exciting time and it's been shaky <laughs> to say the least, but uh, really nothing but good news this week for Oklahoma state, you know, Mike Gundy and Shrum and, and uh, Weiberg put out statements about the expansion and, you know, Gundy seems pretty fired up about it. He said, you know, the big 12 has been, uh, among the best football leagues in the country for 25 years. Uh, these four programs will allow us to introduce our brand of football to fans in new locations and new conference. It's uh, best of both worlds, as he calls it, with the longstanding members of the league joining up with these four. So it's exciting. Uh, we got a game, though, this, this Saturday, tomorrow, against Tulsa. Um, I think there's an article on PFB, three things to know about, Tulsa's, uh, about Tulsa ahead of the matchup in week two by Kyle Cox. And, you know, uh, Mike Gundy made news yesterday, Colby, on his uh, – I guess they do a podcast now with, with Dave Hunziker. But it's also on video. You can watch it on YouTube. He basically said Spencer Sanders has been practicing. He looks great. And he can't wait to see what he does on Saturday. So, Spencer Sanders is a go against Tulsa. Uh, yeah, I mean, he said he looks the same as he's always looked. He said he looks good. He feels good. And that's good news for Oklahoma State. Carson, I was – if Spencer wasn't going to be back this week, I was going to think about pulling the trigger on the upset alert for Oklahoma State. Uh, I just really came away from that game last Saturday uh, feeling pretty poor. With Spencer Sanders out there, I feel a lot better spread at this game right now. I'm looking at it. It's 12 and a half. I think that's a pretty good number. I think Oklahoma State somewhere between 10 and 14 uh, would be what would be expected. Now, is Oklahoma State capable of winning this game 42 to 14? Yeah, I think they are. Uh, are they capable of this game being a 20 to 17 barn burner? Yeah, I think that's possible too. Uh, I think that there's a lot of unknowns tomorrow. And weirdly, uh, so due to some of the, the harsh winter conditions and stuff that happened with golf, courses i had a golf tournament rescheduled to this weekend tomorrow and sunday so i actually not only will i not be in stillwater tomorrow for the game i won't even get to watch the game live i'm gonna have to watch it on recording so i will already know who won so hopefully i will be watching it nice calm cool collected already <laughs> knowing that oklahoma state has won by three touchdowns and not watching it in a fit of anger just waiting for everything to go wrong yeah it'd be good for your blood pressure i would think uh week one was not good for osu fans blood pressure against missouri state and I think that's something to look forward to in this game, Colby. Obviously, Tulsa had nine players suspended uh, last week for their season opener due to that fight they had in the bowl game. And 
I think it's going to be tough on Oklahoma State to run the football. Again, they couldn't run it against Missouri State. And among the players that Tulsa has back is their line, two starting linebackers and a starting safety. And they ranked 43rd last season in rushing defense. Now, that was with Zayvon Collins, just a, a freakazoid that went, <laughs> went the top 15 in the NFL draft, best player they've ever had at their school. But, man, I'm, I'm curious to see what Casey Dunn and company have, have come up with to, to formulate a running game. It certainly will help having Spencer, but I'm, I'm nervous about the running game, Colby. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this is just line up against an inferior opponent with a very vanilla scheme and go try to beat a man on man. I don't think that's it. I think it needs to be creative this week. And I think that you need to make sure that you go out and you build some confidence for your offense leading into the next two weeks because this is the last cupcake for a while until you get to Kansas. It's Boise next week. It's Kansas State the week after to open conference play. Uh, you're not going to have any more walkthroughs. No, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, so you need to get creative, open up the playbook. Like we talked about last week, get the ball in hands of guys and make plays. Let Brennan Presley touch the ball 10 times, however that may be. It doesn't all have to be on crossing routes. Uh, I would like to see the middle of the field used a little bit more, but it doesn't all have to be there. Get some jet flips going, some jet sweeps, do something to get him the ball, some bubble screen, stuff like that. And as far as running the ball goes, Spencer is going to have to be a big part of that, uh, and he's going to have to do his part to keep the guys on the edge honest because we did not see that last week with Missouri State. They essentially loaded the box and said, you're not going to – uh, run the ball on us. You're going to have to beat us through the air. And Oklahoma State couldn't do it. I don't, I don't care what the box score says. I don't care about more than 300 yards passing. Oklahoma State couldn't do it. In the second half, they scored three points when they needed a first down at the end of the game. We all knew they weren't going to be able to get it, and they didn't get it. It, uh, it was a, a poor performance from the offense a week ago. We talked on Tuesday about where the blame falls for that. But this week, I think the turnaround is going to come uh, from both Spencer Sanders and Casey Dunn. Spencer Sanders is going to have to do some good things, make sure he takes care of the ball, make some big plays for the offense. And then Casey Dunn, I think, needs to open it up a little bit more, be a little more creative, uh, just a little less predictable and one-dimensional uh, whenever it comes to the vanilla play calling that I think we saw in week one against Missouri State. Yeah, I, I think one thing that could help, and we've been harping on this for years watching OSU football, is the middle of the field, in between the hash marks, they just don't throw the football there anymore. And, and I know with a quarterback like Shane Ellingworth, who's young, they, they certainly avoided that when he started against West Virginia last year. They certainly didn't ask him to do a whole lot against Missouri State. They basically said throw it deep and throw fade routes. And um, I think that's an area where, you know, a Braden Johnson, certainly a Braylon Presley, they need to – I think getting more completions over the middle of the field in between the hash marks will open up a lot. It'll, it'll get those linebackers in the middle of the field from just going downhill at the running game all day long. It'll give them something to think about. So that, that's one thing I'm really looking forward to on Saturday and seeing if they can utilize because that's been a – that's just been just out of their offense for seemingly a year and a half, two years, really. Yeah, it has. And I, I just, I don't know why. I really don't know why. Um, you know, Casey Dunn took over last year. It was after the COVID year. A lot of things were new. A lot of things were different. And I really, I think we all just kind of gave him a pass for last year. And he probably deserved a pass for last year. It was weird. It was new. It, nobody really knew what was going on last year. Uh, this year, there are no passes that are going to be handed out. 
This year, it's go out, uh, get Oklahoma State's offense back to what we know that it can be, back to what it was under Yersich and Holgerson and Monken and all of these big, high-level OCs, which, by the way, it just a, a light switch just went on in my head that Dana Holgerson's back in the Big 12 very shortly. Uh, so congrats to Dana Holgerson for rejoining. He's left the Big 12 twice and had to come back. He, he left Oklahoma back. State for West Virginia in the Big East. Then he came back to the Big 12, West Virginia. He, he leaves there to go to that Houston. Now he's back, baby. He can't, he can't get rid of us. He is the boomerang of Big 12 football coaches. <laughs> you throw him out and he just spins right back to you. So uh, I don't even know where I was going with my train of thought because I got caught up with Dana Holgerson. But, uh, yeah, Oklahoma State has had great defensive coordinators and great offenses for the better part of the last 15 years. And it's just Oklahoma State fans are not going to tolerate uh, a ton more games that you win in the teens because I think we all know that that's – not sustainable. This this defense with all of these veterans and all these guys that are these high-level players have been carrying this team for a couple of years now, and I just don't know that uh, Oklahoma State football can survive over the next several years. That way, the offense needs to match what the defense is doing, and if they do, then this team can be uh, as special as maybe you and I said two weeks ago. You know, we were both bullish on this team coming into the season, and week one raised a ton of question marks. So hopefully we get just maybe an answer or two. Uh, I did, we did get a tweet yesterday, and I told him we would talk about it today on the air. Uh, it was MK Ryan on Twitter asked, how many rushing yards would the Cowboys need to put up this week to ally concern about the offensive line? Well, at least 100. I mean, it's a low bar for me right now. I mean, uh, I would say 120 yards. I think that's doable. I would certainly like more than that because that's what this offense is predicated on, especially with Spencer being able to, to generate yardage on the ground. But anything less than 100, I just think it's the season shaping up to be a disaster unless they get, you know, the right mix of, of offensive linemen. I know they didn't have Hunter Woodard last, last week, so I don't, I don't know. That, that's kind of where I fall on it. Yeah, and one thing that Mike Gundy said on the podcast with Hunziker that I thought was actually made a lot of sense is, you know, not necessarily a yardage total, but more so a yards per carry total, because there might be a game where the, the style of play, the opposing defense, what they're giving you, there might be a game you run it 41 times, might be another game you run it 14 times. You do what Dallas did last night, and you just barely give it to your backs at all. But yards per carry last season for Oklahoma State was at 4.1. It was 1.9 last week against Missouri State. Um, I don't know that it needs to be 4.1, but if Oklahoma State has another week sub three, I'm really concerned. Somewhere in the threes probably just is so-so. Uh, but if Oklahoma State were to go out and average, let's say, somewhere between four and six yards per carry, that would alleviate a lot of the concerns for me. But short of doing that, I think there are going to be concerns moving forward for the offensive line until they've proven that week one was a fluke just because the offensive line has been so poor for so long in Stillwater that I think one good performance won't be enough to alleviate the concerns of the fan base about the O-line. I think it's going to take several good performances to prove to us that week one against Missouri State was the fluke and that if it's a good performance this week, that's not the fluke. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And that I'm just so discouraged with the offensive line. I mean, this has been a quagmire since, since really Joe Wickline left and that, that to me is the biggest reason why OSU hasn't won, you know, 10 games in a, in a few years. And, and really Mason and, and James Washington, Mason Rudolph and James Washington were so good. Their offensive line still stunk, but they were so good that it almost didn't matter because they were so good hitting the deep ball. 
Rudolph was such a great quarterback that they, they were able to get around some of the offensive line issues. I, I'm curious to see if this year's offense can do that with all the young players they have at, at the skill positions. That's something I, I want to see a little more cohesiveness between Sanders and those guys. But, uh, man, I'm, I'm so down on, on the offensive line. And I like Coach Atkins. I think he's going to do a good job. But, man, it's just, it just seems like it's a, an ongoing issue every single year. So we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see how, how that plays out. Uh, do you like playing Tulsa? This, they signed an eight-year contract to keep playing. They call it the, the Turnpike uh, – what's it called? Turnpike uh, Classic. Turnpike Classic. Uh, they signed an eight-year deal going all the way from 24, 2024 to 2031. Uh, they're not supposed to play in 2022 or 2023, so it's going to get a little bit of a break. But I like it, Col- I like it, Colby. I mean, in-state, it's an easy road trip. You have a lot of fans when you play on the road. I was there – the last time they played Tulsa in Tulsa and there was more OSU fans there. So that's sign me up for that. If you, if you need a, a non-conference game. Yeah. I mean, as far as non-conference games go, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, I think the non-conference mostly is a waste of time. I mean, obviously it's good for the smaller schools, a lot of money. I understand why they do it. Uh, it's some nice scrimmages for some of the bigger schools. Uh, now every, every now and then a scrimmage backfires, see Montana and Washington a week ago. I think Montana got, uh, maybe million and a half from Washington to play that game and went in and beat them. So every now and then that does backfire. But as far as non-conference game goes, if you can play a school that's 70 miles up the road, in-state, everybody knows them, uh, I would prefer that to Oklahoma State playing um, Western Carolina or somebody like that this week. I would much prefer the Tulsa matchup. You don't want to see Savannah State again? Oh, my God. If I never hear the name Savannah State again, it'll be <laughs> 84 to nothing, and it wasn't fun. 84 to nothing, and that was like they, – they literally tropped, stopped trying to score and still scored 84. Now that – The West that, Lunt game. That was the West Lunt game. First career start, right? He was inducted into the Hall of Fame at halftime, I believe. <laughs> Man, he played well at, at, at Arizona too. He just uh, – he wasn't quite who we thought, we thought he was going to be. But that, that was a unique game against Savannah because we all remember they were supposed to play Clemson. And Clemson bailed at the last minute, and Savannah State's all they could get. So I really don't blame OSU for, for yeah. playing that game. Uh, let's see here. Uh, how about your uh, prediction of the game? What's, what's the point spread on this? Uh, point spread is 12 and a half. The over-under is 51 points. Ooh, I like the under a lot. So that's, uh, what, like a 32-20 type game? 32-20 gets us to 52, 31-19 maybe? OSU scored – and OSU scored 30 just four times in their past 15 games. So so give me – how about this? I'll hit the over-under right on the head, and I'll have Tulsa just barely covering. Give me Oklahoma State 31-20. to 20. I like it. I uh, was way more confident that OSU was going to blow their doors off <laughs> until I watched what I watched against Missouri State. Um, I think we see good Spencer in this game. I just have a gut feeling that it's going to look like the guy we saw in the first half against Texas where they're way more dynamic offensively. I think his, his threat of running the football around the edge opens up a lot in the middle for an LD Brown and uh, Jalen Warren, who I, I really liked what Jalen Warren brought to the table. He's got some, he's got some uh, get up to him. I want to see Dominic Richardson get, get his hands on the football a few times, but I, I just think Spencer's going to come out and really play well and extend the lead. I think OSU covers. I'll, I'll pick him. Oh, let's see. Are they going to score 30? God, that's, I'm going on a limb here. I'll, I'll say 35 
to 13 is my score. That's what I'm I, going with. I hate that we live in a world where we have to really hesitate to think about whether Oklahoma State's going to get to 30 against Tulsa. I That's hate where that. we are. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. I mean, I picked 31, you picked 35, and it feels like we're on the higher end of where Oklahoma State could be offensively. And that just, I don't know, it's just a little depressing to me. Uh, other Big 12 games, Iowa, Iowa State. Give me a pick. It's in Ames, Iowa State's four and a half point favorites. Is it not shocking that Iowa State's favorite in that game? Uh, it seems to me like a just total trick from Vegas. I don't know if it's because game day is there and it's at home or what the case is, but Iowa has dominated this rivalry. And I just, I mean, Iowa State struggled with Northern Iowa a week ago. Maybe they were looking ahead to Iowa, but either way, I just, I feel a lot better about Iowa going into this game than I do Iowa State. Well, yeah, just on the surface, Iowa blows out, you know, a top, 17 team in the country in Indiana. Iowa State struggles to beat Northern Iowa. That game was in doubt, much like OSU's game against Missouri State. Iowa's dominated the series, but you're right. It, it kind of feels like a trap. So, I, to me, this is so much like Bedlam. I, I can't pick Iowa State to beat Iowa, right? I can't do it. I, prove me wrong, Iowa State. For once in your lives, beat Iowa. But for now, I'm going to pick Iowa, and it's going to be just, just thoroughly depressing. They're going to win, like, they're going to win 24 to 17 is my prediction. Yeah. I mean, I think you're pretty close there. What about uh, Texas and Arkansas? Seven point favorites is all Texas is on the road against Arkansas, who, by the way, before pulling away last week to win by 17 or 21, Arkansas was tied with Rice early in the fourth. Yeah, that feels like another trap, right? Texas looks great, beats a ranked team on their home field in Louisiana. Arkansas struggles. I just this is this is so Texas though, right? Isn't it, Colby? Every time they get like a kind of a program, quote unquote, program stabilizing, program changing win, they go out and lay an egg the next day. I kind of like Arkansas plus the points, just because I think Texas is probably feeling themselves a little too much. Yeah, I think weirdly last week a lot of people were on Louisiana, and for some reason I was on Texas. This week I feel like there's a little bit of Arkansas love and. I, I can't explain it, but I'm on Texas. I feel like they're going to go in there and they're going to win this game, I don't know, 37 to 20, somewhere in that neighborhood. And maybe I'm just, you, you know, and I'm not super high on Texas. I picked them to finish fifth in the conference, but I just feel like they're – I feel like Arkansas is not there yet. They're building something, but they're not there yet. Well, yeah, and give, give Texas credit. They look good against Louisiana. I thought people were way too high on Louisiana – as well yeah you and I talked about it I think we both picked Texas to cover in that game and I just I, I said it the day they hired Sarkeesian I think he's going to figure out how to generate points in Austin and that's been their biggest problem is their their quarterback play and their their offense has just been very pedestrian and I thought they were really impressive um, on offense and defense against Louisiana but I just it's still a country club down there in Austin and I just I think they've been partying all week man we're back we're new coach we're we're going to the sec we're great we beat up on louisiana who everyone thought was going to beat us so i i think texas wins but I, I think arkansas covers yeah i don't necessarily hate that only other game even worth mentioning in the big 12 is cal at tcu tcu's 11 and a half point favorites they definitely should take care of business uh against one of the middling teams in what is a pretty poor pack 12 from what we saw in week one yeah, TCU should handle them. Um, I'm, I'm pretty high on TCU this year. I know you are as well. So I, I, I think they cover and really just curb stomp the Pac-12 once again because Kansas State embarrassed Stanford. That was, that was a shellacking. 
And so hopefully TCU does the same to, to Cal. Before we do our uniform predictions, we didn't talk about this on Monday, and we need to hit on it. The Trey Sterling targeting call. He has to miss the first half against Tulsa due to this targeting call. Targeting, I feel like, reached a tipping point in the Ole Miss-Louisville game because three different guys were ejected for targeting. And, Colby, targeting is, is a good rule. We don't need guys taking free shots over the middle when they're unprotected. But it's gone too far now to where routine tackles when helmets happen to touch each other are ejecting kids from games when they only get to play in 12 games a year. And it's just, it's gone way too far. Helmets are going to touch and tackle football. That's just, that's a, it's physically impossible for them not to occasionally go helmet to helmet sometimes. That doesn't, we know targeting when we see it. And the Trey Sterling play is bang, bang, over the middle, trying to stop a guy from scoring a touchdown in a tight game. His helmet touches his helmet as he lowers his shoulder. He's trying to do a textbook lowering of the shoulder and their helmets happen to touch. He gets ejected. They need a total reform on targeting. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, this is so simple. We could so easily make this a good rule that I don't think people would have a huge problem with. Uh, it would involve a little more subjectivity from the officials, but I would be okay with that in this situation. We need targeting one, and we need targeting two. We need different levels of targeting. Targeting one, you know, it's probably what happened with Trey Sterling. It, it came in. He, he, it was a hit kind of up high, but there was nothing malicious about it. It wasn't headhunting. It wasn't over the top. He wasn't going out to, to decapitate somebody. It was a football play that they're trying to get rid of, and I totally understand why because of head injuries. But to me, that's targeting one. That's 15 yards, but no ejection. The season's too short. Guys' careers are too short. No ejection. And then there's targeting two. And targeting two would be up to the discretion of the officials if they felt like there was real intent to go headhunting, to be violent, some sort of massive launch by a safety while a receiver is still in midair coming down from his jump in the middle of the field. You know, a guy's trying to catch a punt, and as the ball's hitting his hands, you put the top of your helmet right in the guy's face mask. Stuff that's over-the-top, egregious, aggressive, headhunting, violent, uh, that you watch it and you say, no doubt, He's got to be ejected. He should not be playing football anymore today. That should be targeting too. And I know that that leaves some subjectivity to the officials, but I think if you made the, the wording of the rule, the language in the rule book, that if you really can't tell if it should be targeting two, it should be targeting one. Targeting two is the ones that are so obvious that you jump out of your chair and say, there's no way that guy should be on the field the rest of the day. If that doesn't happen, it's targeting one, it's 15 yards, we move on, stop kicking guys out of the game. The rule as it is now is incredibly flawed, uh, and it's having an impact on guys' collegiate careers having to miss uh, football. There's, just, there's not enough games for Trey Sterling to have to miss a half against Tulsa, and now it looks like it's going to be Jason Taylor filling in for him. Obviously, he had a big moment last year in the Kansas State game with the 85-yard fumble return. But Trey Sterling's a big piece on this Oklahoma State defense in a game in which – I mean, look, I know it's Tulsa, but Oklahoma State's not favored by 30. This is a 12-and-a-half-point spread. These games go either way all the time in college football. That could end up mattering, uh, and I certainly hope it doesn't. So that would be my revision to the targeting rule. Oh, it's perfect. I, I think the targeting one, targeting two is the, absolutely the way to do it. We, we know targeting two when we see it, people. Like, we have brains. We have common sense. We, we know what that is. And just the idea of ejecting a college football player on a bang-bang play like that, 
for Trey Sterling is just egregious. It's wrong. It, it shouldn't continue to happen. The, the sport is, is flawed in many ways, but to me that's become one of its biggest flaws is, is the targeting rule. So we, we neglected to talk about that on Monday, but I did want to hit on that. Let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform preview brought to you by Chris, Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. All right, Colby, uni prediction time. What are you going with this week? All right, last week I was way off base. Uh, this week I'm going to go a little more traditional home. Give me the white-orange-white combo. White helmets, orange shirts, white pants, different white helmets than they wore last week, traditional OSU insignia on the side uh, of the helmets this week. White-orange-white. I like it. That was my prediction last week. I'm tempted to go with it again this week. I think that's probably what they're going to wear. But I'll, just to be different from you, I'll go orange, orange, white with the, uh, the orange helmet, um, probably with the Pistol Pete on it. I know they went Pistol Pete last week. They have, an, they have an orange helmet with the brand on it, don't they? Yeah, I think they wore that against, yes. they wore that against Texas or Baylor a few times. So, yeah, the, the orange helmet with the, with the black brand on it. Give me the brand, as my dad likes to say. Put that on the helmet. So I'll go orange, orange, white for our uni prediction. So, well, Colby, we've made our predictions. Hopefully Oklahoma State can uh, run the football a little better. Hopefully Sanders has a big day, and, and hopefully uh, Brennan Presley scores a few touchdowns. That's what I'm looking forward to. Hopefully he touches the ball more than four <laughs> Hopefully so. And, look, I, I'm sure Casey Dunn's been, been grinding this week, been, been scheming and, and coming up with a game plan because – Boy, if they if they throw out another stinker all out there against Tulsa, it's um, the pressure's going to ratchet up on, on Casey Dunn. There's just there's just no two ways about it. It's a results based business. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Got to start scoring some points. Got to start moving the ball. It it just should not look so difficult to get ten yards. It just shouldn't. It it should look much easier than it does currently for Oklahoma State. So hopefully they get it rolling this weekend against Tulsa. We're back next week. Go Pokes.